And we're back with the first episode of Ladies First for 2019. I am Corey, and I am joined by Elizabeth and Sahara today. Hi! And we're talking Doctor Who, because if you haven't guessed already, what's that one tweet? Buckle up, because this is all I'm going to be talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Half of my stuff on the site has been about Doctor Who, so shock. That's okay, though, because I got Elizabeth and Sahara watching it. I kind of hate myself. I kind of hate myself. Why? Okay, you have to understand. My knowledge and interaction with the franchise Doctor Who begins and ends with who I have encountered spilling out into other fandoms from from the Voldemort of Tumblr, the Super Hulock fandom. Haram. I have my button, actually, so I'm going <laughs> to press it just for this. <laughs> Maybe. I heard- Maybe not. No, it doesn't work. Wait. Oh, my gosh. What the heck? I literally just tested it. It's so <laughs> awful. It's so awful. It zapped the batteries. <laughs> oh, no. I literally used it earlier today. <laughs> so bad. Wow, guys. The super hulak is so haram that my haram button doesn't work. I guess I'll have oh. to put in new batteries again. Well, oh. all right, then. That was well, super you can manually provide it for us, then. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. That was that was amazing. I wish we had planned that, but we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> Anyways, so if you've been living under a rock, um, Series 11 of Doctor Who has just ended. We just had the resolution episode, the New Year's Day special. We're not getting any more until 2020, but some new stuff was going on this time. New showrunner Chris Chibnall was taking over from Stephen Moffat, who had about six years or so uh, on that of his run, and he obviously took over for Russell T. Davies who spearheaded the Doctor Who revival, a.k.a. New Who, in 2005. So there's been some changes. And, I mean, we're in the New Who era. There's New Who, there's Classic Who. Classic Who is what happened from its first incarnation. So, like, Doctors 1 through 7, and then the movie was Doctor was the eighth doctor and then i'm not getting into the war doctor because it's a lot of lore and i'm not gonna sit here and bore elizabeth and sahara over this i mean we'll get there just not just not in the podcast yeah i'm not gonna do a big exposition dump anymore than i just did but there has been (laughs) some backlash from raging misogynists and then there's been some very interesting fandom things going on so we kind of thought we'd combine our oh we love 13 and her fam and series a lot of stuff about series 11 and also like what in the world is this fandom stuff yes essentially it's three of us talking about bad fandom behavior again and also good things because doctor who series 11 is amazing yes 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 it is i feel like I was never expecting to like something from Doctor Who, even though it had elements of things that I liked, but this kind of filled the Mass Effect hole in my heart. Well, you also have to understand that you're coming in with a brand new showrunner, so you didn't see, like, the RTD or the Moffat eras, which 
are kind of their own beast. A lot of the pushback on Series 11 from parts of fandom seems to be just because Chibnall has such a different approach. So you, oh, good that I that I know yeah. I never have to go back. <laughs> you you missed yeah. a lot of the um, things. <laughs> Yeah. I, I'm aware of some of the criticisms of what Moffat did to the show simply because I watched a lot of criticism of Sherlock because I was a fan of Elementary and was very much invested in figuring out why people thought Sherlock was good at all when Elementary existed. But there's a, a particular video that H. Bomber guy put out that is very famous and quite viral. Odds are you've already seen it, but it is it's brilliant. It's incredible. Everyone needs to watch it. It's yeah, it's, it's, one of, it's one of the... It's like... It's the perfect critique of Stephen Moffat. Am I and, the one who hasn't heard of this? Um, oh I my god! We will link it because honestly, also H Bomber guy did a great video on Fallout Three. Even though I disagree with like everything he said, his argument is presented perfectly, and I actually really like him as a creator. He does really excellent work. Um, but so in the process of of breaking down why Sherlock is bad, probably about a half hour of the video is devoted to what went wrong with Doctor Who while Moffat was in charge of it. And my approach to Doctor Who is from having to mute all of it on Tumblr because my friends who <laughs> love it were rightfully distraught over the way that the show was heading. And so when people were talking about this series and everyone kept saying it was amazing, I really wanted to be like, are you sure? This sounds super fake. But then people I trusted <laughs> said that it was great so that I watched every single episode the day it aired. And I'm so glad I did because it's been one of my absolute favorite new shows of 2018. Sahara and I watched a lot of those episodes together, by the way. So, yeah, um, okay. I'm over here. I'm like a long term Whovian. Um, I prefer classic Who to the RTD and Moffat eras. So, for me, a lot of what makes Doctor Who, Doctor Who, or the Doctor comes from the classic series of, you know, one through seven. And then we also have Paul McGann's movie. So, I also had a different set of quibbles with what wound up b defining the New Who era. And I know I've talked to Sahar and Elizabeth about that both. And it goes, ties into one of my main, just like really pet peeves with how fandom is reacting to Series 11 and the new showrunner and the new direction. It stems from, you know, my first exposure to the Doctor was classic Doctor and not this new Who quote-unquote melodrama. So we'll get into that in a little bit, too. But that's where my background is coming from compared to Elizabeth and Sahara's. Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with bad fandom behavior and then talk about the show itself? Or do we want to start with the show and then talk about bad fandom behavior? I okay, let's talk off... about the show first. Yeah. Because that will give context to the fandom that's behavior good. and also kind of more context as to why it's sort of ridiculous like i didn't like when i watched this my my when i finished the season my first thought was who would have anything to critique about this so i want to quickly say i think when i first saw the casting announcement because obviously doctor who has been a white dude this entire time and the casting announcement came out and we were getting jodie whittaker who I've seen in Broadchurch and several other dramas, and I was like, she's a terrific dramatic actress. And I was just like, is she going to be able to do Doctor Who? Well, obviously, yes. Yeah. And I think she's been utterly brilliant at it. 13, Something... 
13 may be my top doctor. It had been five Peter Davison's doctor for the longest time, and I know that doesn't mean anything to you two, but it's going to come back into play for me later in a point I'm going to make. But five had been my favorite, probably my favorite doctor for the longest time, and 13 may knock him off. Wow. That's saying something. Yeah. But it'll make sense. It will make sense when we get to it a little bit later in the episode. Um, but I think she's been absolutely brilliant. Yes. Uh, I actually have not seen her in anything else, but something that I liked about her was, okay, so, like, obviously you see a ton of Who content on Tumblr. You can't avoid it. So you, you're familiar with, like, the characterization that Tennant did and Matt Smith did, or those are the ones I'm most familiar with. Eccleston's right. not as popular on Tumblr. Peter Capaldi. You don't know who that is. He's also no. He's also not. He's the the old guy, right? Yeah, he was he was thirteen's predecessor. Yes, but like he's not as popular either because you can't lust after him. I mean, I don't know um, about that. But that's a discussion for another podcast. Yeah, that, that's, he has that's fan another base. discussion. Those are fighting words for a very different fan base of his. <laughs> You know, this is really funny because literally two nights ago, one of my friends was talking about five hot older men and Capaldi was on that list. So (laughs) (laughs) anyhow, you're right, though. I mean, Tumblr, if you spend any time on it, you've seen some variety of GIF sets or Corey's getting mad at me, GIF sets. Sorry. And um, just the kind of content that exists. So even if you are a complete newbie, there's some element of understanding the premise, you know, time travel. There's a police box companion. Oh, yeah. Go. And obviously we're talking about it on here because, you know, the lady gays and lady buys found Doctor Who and Jodie Whittaker and that was all she wrote. Yep. I have another thought about that in a second. But uh, something that fascinates me about Whittaker is that when I watch her move, it reminds me of watching Tennant and Matt Smith play the same part. So it actually, weirdly, feels like the same character, just played by a different person. But, like, I have a strong appreciation for the level of craft she did with this part. Not just in, like, she like just what's happening in the season, but also, like, oh, this is a character that has a lot of continuity and has a lot of background to it. And that has to be acknowledged while creating her version of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. But I remember, okay, so this was like, this is like ancient history. This was probably two years ago. But I remember on another <laughs> podcast with the TGI Fem Slash people that Gretchen and I think Lee were talking about, um, about how a lot of bi girls or queer girls were into Doctor Who and then sort of made a leap from Doctor Who into other queer things because Tumblr was sort of the gateway drug into getting them exposed to that sort of thing. And I always found that right. interesting. And there it feels like, like it's kind of come full circle now since we have a you know a woman playing a doctor with Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like now I have a reason to care. And there's a massive ship that sprung out of that that's going to lead to another bad behavior fandom moment. Please don't do this here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but that gives us a chance to talk about um, Team Tardis, um, with Graham played by Bradley Walsh. Ryan played by Tosin Cole and Yasmin Khan played by uh, Mandip Gill. So this is one probably the most diverse regular f- friends she has. And I don't like calling them companions because this series really doesn't treat them like companions. They kind of treat them like you know, they chose, they asked to go with her and that and for, you know, Doctor Who that's very new. 
Uh, okay. I have a question now. Okay. So, in the previous series, are companions, like, squires who are in service to the Doctor? No, they're people he meets that he's been fascinated, and I say he because we're talking about previous Doctors, that he's been fascinated by. Yeah, that's by. fine, I understand. So, it's like he lures them into traveling with them, and they become his companions. I don't like that at all. <laughs> because, I know, and this is something, like, and it was also kind of really weird because... Classic Who at least had a mix of different people with him, but New Who, he was always going for younger women. Yeah, and they, I mean, that's what's interesting about the companion It starts with Rose Tyler, she's 19 years old. This is so bad, do you talk about it out of context? Wait, 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 rewind. It just sort of hits you. I did not realize this, because I watched her first episode with him, and she's 19 at the time. Yes. Haram button. So... (laughs) I think it's interesting, though, because then this actually really highlights how interesting this season has been because they start off within a couple of episodes. She's calling them her friends. And then, I mean, there's just going to be spoilers in this podcast episode, so beware. But in the in the New Year's special, she calls them best friends. Like, they are family and they're best friends now, which is very different than companions to life partners to the ridiculousness that is Doctor Who lore with children and all this other chaos that Wikipedia can help you figure out. And I'm so confused. I need to chart. But that's what's really cool <laughs> about this season. Start because... off, the entire relationship with them is different. And I'm saying this as the one who has the Doctor right. Who lore. Yeah. They ask her to let her travel with them. Previously, it's either they just kind of stay or the Doctor has been asking them, do you want to travel with me? Because he's kind of something about them intrigues him so it's a very different approach in that she's willing to say goodbye even though and this is the thing about the doctor the doctor is not somebody who does well by themselves but she is willing to say goodbye because she doesn't you know want to put them in dangerous situations and she's very upfront during that scene um arachnids in the uk and she's very upfront saying i can't always protect you when i pull that lever i don't always know what's going to happen and you're not going to come back the same person she gives them plenty of warning and they're the ones saying no we want to travel with you and they lay out the reasons why and they're always affirming Yes, we're choosing to be with you. And she always gives them, and and this is also refreshing because it didn't always happen with previous doctors. She gives them an out quite a bit, like within Rosa, when she tells Yaz and Ryan, you two can, you guys specifically can sit this out and I'll go handle this. All right. And they have the autonomy to leave if they would end up choosing to do so. Exactly. Or, you know, in the battle, uh, the season finale, series finale, when she tells Yaz, go with Paltraki, Yaz is like, no, I'm with you, whatever happens. And, and again, in the New Year's special, when she's like, you guys can sit this out, she, uh, Yaz and Ryan are like, no, we're with you. Yeah. So there's a far bigger degree of autonomy, like Sahara said, that these companions, and I don't like saying companions, Team Tardis, I say a lot if I write about them, or her fam, have that I really think is refreshing that Chibnall has done compared to what kind of became a running gag almost with the, the doctor picking up her. borderline manic pixie dream girls for companions in the RTD <laughs> and Moffat era. See, like 
this current season, what it what it what this what it most reminds me of is like a little bit of Mass Effect One and Mass Effect Two, where the majority of the plot actually revolved around building the relationships with your squad mates, and mm-hmm. that the ultimate goal of the story arc of the part of the first, but definitely the whole most of the story arc of the second game is devoted to getting you to know you getting to know your companions very intimately, which sets up for like the clusterfuck that is the third game, which is like, you know, all all out galaxy wide war. But Mm. this sort of reminded me of mass effect and that there was such a heavy emphasis on making sure that you understood who the companions were, that they were their own people and why they're well there, why they're a companion to the doctor, why they want to travel with the doctor, why they continue to want to travel. And they also grow as people through knowing the doctor. Mm hmm. And they all bring something new to the table. Exactly. That it is an actual team. Yeah, and it's they all very much a team. And their life experiences play specifically into how they contribute. Like, I know that's a low bar to set, but even things like in, um, oh God, what is the episode? The, the one with the blind girl. It takes right. you away. Yeah, okay. So that Ryan assumed that her father just ditched her, because, you know, that's what he would naturally assume, and then he actually follows that to the logical conclusion of the monster is a fake, and then actually figures that out, like... I just I like the I like the consistency with the characterization. I like that the show doesn't forget who their characters are. Again, mm-hmm. super low bar to set, but like I've watched a lot of bad TV this last year. <laughs> what a mood. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of firsts too. Like Yaz is the first South Asian companion and we're not going to go too heavy into Yasmin Khan just because Sahara and I are pretty much doing an entire episode of That's Haram for Doctor Who and that character. But um, same thing with Graham. Um, they all have very distinct personalities. Yaz, I really, really need her to have her own arc in Series 12. Because I think yes. this one was focusing a little bit more on Graham building up that relationship with Ryan and the fallout from Grace dying. But I'm like, I'm okay with that. But Season 12 does need to have a bigger focus on Yaz. Yeah, definitely. And the thing that's interesting about this is I obviously want the same, but I'm not as mad about the arc being for Ryan and Graham necessarily because we have an arc for a black man who has dyspraxia and gets to be a fully realized character. I think Mm -hmm. there's definitely something to be said about the whole fact that, like, his dad's deadbeat, his grandmother dies, his mom is non-existent. Like, there's all of that to it, but even so, he still gets to have this full arc, and at the end, in Resolution, you know, forgives his father, and all of that happens, so it's really great to see that. So now, the next season slash series can focus more on Yaz and what she wants to do, especially because right now, we assume that they're all just going to keep traveling forever, but at some point, they might, and probably will stop traveling with the Doctor, so then what happens after? Like, how do you go back to your regular life? having gone through all these amazing adventures. Yeah. Well, as the Whovian in here, sometimes you die. Sometimes you get trapped in a parallel universe. Sometimes you have your mind wiped. There's a lot of bad things happening to everybody. A lot of that also started with New Who. Um, I was going to say, I know those things. I I remember the gift sets, so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's the thing the difference though with like classic who is adric died with five but that wasn't normally what happened normally like you know the doctor's granddaughter susan 
she fell in love and she wanted to stay on Earth, so the doctor let her stay on Earth. She had uh, He had other companions that were like, well, I'm going to stay with this civilization and help them build, or I don't really want to travel with you anymore, so I'm going to go do this thing. And it wasn't necessarily this big, shattering, cruel thing that kind of defined New Who. Right. And almost, I mean, just from the perspective of not having seen more than four other episodes of New Who before this series, is that you did all of this with the Doctor and all of these things happened to you. And then the episode, like the show ends for this character in like tragedy. Like what was the point of doing all of the buildup? Yeah. Well, Sarah Jane, probably one of the most legendary companions up until the actress who played her died, and I just blanked on her name, so give me a second. Um, she even had her own spinoff when Doctor Who was rebooted, and it was the Sarah Jane Chronicles, and you kind of got to see it. It's like, yeah, she kept on um, doing her own little adventures. Dang. Like, she never really stopped. So, I mean... I mean Elizabeth Sladen, uh, and that was going, the Sarah Jane Chronicles were going until she unfortunately passed away in 2011, um, I believe it was from cancer, but, you know, it's, there was this continuation, it wasn't just like, rock dead, you're done. Even right. now, uh, the uh, Big Fish, the audio plays, and I, I love Big Fish because it gives you a chance to have all these other adventures that aren't necessarily beholden entirely to what's going on on tv and they they've announced rose tyler billy piper is coming back to provide the voice for that and she's gonna have she's like this interdimensional adventurer time traveler hero that she gets to do but we don't get to, we never got to see that with new who because it was always about the doctor and this one specific point that we're i'm sorry i have to get into this i can't hold Go it, for it any longer the fucking time war you as would a, make a good Dalek. As a fucking point <laughs> that went on from like over a decade. It way, 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 way lasted as welcome. And it just kept going on. And I don't even think maybe RTD and Davies meant for it to go on this long. Uh, but it just kept going. And it became the doctor's a sad, tortured, sad sack because you had to do the unthinkable and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And then in the day of the Doctor, Moffat just completely retconned it, which is the only thing I actually agree with Moffat retconning it because it had become such a fucking plot point that everybody right. hemmed everything onto that Moffat was just like, yeah, we should get over this. And Gallifrey wound up being saved and the Doctor can no longer have this weighing over his chest. And the entire point of that was by the time Capaldi's 12 who had his own issues, was ready to regenerate, that trauma wasn't, you know, just an albatross hanging around the doctor's neck. So we get 13, and this is something, I'm like, there's actual fucking character growth with 13, because there's no longer this, there's still trauma, but there's not this, I am a genocidal murderer trauma. It's not how, actual or how growth. 
move beyond <laughs> this plot point that has gone on for way too long. And it's like everybody's like, I can't wait for Jodie Whittaker's doctor to snap. She's too nice. I'm like, oh, my God. Why Clearly. can't you have a nice doctor? Here's the thing. Doctor Five, doc, Fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, was my favorite doctor because up until 13, he was the kindest doctor we had. I think it just really goes to the point of, one, fandom just really doesn't like change as a whole. Like, capital F, fandom, TM, does not like change. And then, two, no one actually wants to see good things. They just want to, like, revel in, like, crankiness and anger and snapping at people. (laughs) And in in the context of this season, like, her yelling at oppressive you know, entities, because it was, it's easier for her to do it than them to, like, deal with their own problems in their real lives, so it's just, like, why isn't she mean? We don't need to have every character be mean and spiteful and angry. She gives the Dalek chances in the, you know, special, and it's not until, like, the very last, like, possible moment that she's like, well, now we just gotta make this Dalek go away, because I'm trying everything. character growth. David Tennant's number 10. His entire thing was no second chances. Right. Oh my god, look at the character growth we actually got from 10 to 13. Right. Yikes. Elizabeth, do you have any thoughts? Um, no, actually, that kind of, I kind of stuck on that. That What is the deal with the no second chances thing? Because, okay, here's... For all the manic energy and the smiles and everything, a lot of people seem to have a hard time accepting that David Tennant's doctor could be very, very dark. I thought that was, like, the appeal. To some people, some people don't like admitting how dark he is. It depends on what part of the fandom you're in. Ten could be an extremely dark doctor. Um Nine had its his moments, but he was trying to... He was the one most attached to, or at least removed from, the Time War. Ten was the one right after that incarnation. Mm-hmm. And... Or I should say regeneration. And he had a lot of moments where you could see the oncoming storm, or Time Lord Victorious, or whatever other names fandoms loves to say that they want to see happen with Thirteen... That would come out really frequent with him. Um, You saw that with the Family of Blood. You saw that over and over again when he'd be like, no second chances. Or, for me, one of the most sexist things he ever did was when a female politician killed invaders. The doctor had talked them into leaving, and she killed them. And people were rightfully angry at her, but the doctor says, I'm going to end your career. It's going to take me six words. And he goes to a male associate and says, don't you think she looks tired? What? Oh, my gosh. I'm so mad my button's not working. Oh, my God. There's a lot of darker elements in there. And then you have Eleven, who's just very... He also has that manic kind of childlike glee, but very quickly he becomes very broody. And then you have Capaldi's character, who Moffat was trying to do some philosophical stuff with, of like, am I a good man? What does it mean to be good? Um, But yeah, New Who... New Who were pretty... Those doctors were pretty dark at times, and I think a lot of the fandom, they... You know, New Who started 2005, so this is their childhoods. This is what they marinated in. 
And now that Chris <laughs> Chibnall has control and he has no links to RTD or um, Moffat, and he's kind of doing his own thing and moving it on from that particular two-pronged era. And I think a lot of people who grew up with the Doctor has to be dark and angsty underneath don't know how to accept this new Doctor who is trying to be kind above everything else and has had time to heal and has been able to grow since then. Did people not bitch nonstop about how the previous Doctor, 12, was just more of the same and how they were so tired of the show not evolving? At times, yes. I just sort of, I, I think... I'm just sort of blown away that the like no matter what they do, there is a criticism. Chibnall didn't evolve the Doctor in the way that they wanted to, apparently. And Chibnall wrote for Doctor Who before he was in charge of the season, so I think it just again like people don't they either don't like change or they don't actually want anything to change, and they just want to have something to complain about. Because otherwise, what are they going to do with their lives? That's actually probably fair, to be honest. I don't know. What and I mean, that goes back to people. <laughs> that goes back to people who are complaining about like this season wasn't as good as I expected. Like, how come this thing didn't happen, or how come that didn't, thing didn't happen, or using the characters of color, or how like two gay, three gay people died because all of a sudden, you know, that's burying all the gays, even though a gay character survived and went back and like helped save her planet. But they're only using those complaints because. They just want to be mad that the Doctor Who didn't, like, kill someone. Or do I, something that was what they wanted. Well, and then you also have the... I think it's hard for some people to admit that the show is not directly for them anymore. Because that was Chibnall's other thing. Is You look at the writer's room. It's opened up to women and people of color for the first time. Um, you look right. at the new composer, uh, Sagun Akinola. Um, taking over for Murray Gold is a young black man. Um, a lot of this isn't just for, and I'm sure I'm going to get people riled by saying this, white fans anymore. Right. Chibnall made a very conscious decision that Doctor Who needs to be reflective for everyone. And even then, we have a white lady. Like, <laughs> but like what more do you want? It's you really funny. It's really funny because that was so controversial or even like wasn't 12 Scottish or something. And that was like also like, but he's not British, British. And I'm just like, oh, God, because, you know, there was even controversy just because Jodie Whittaker kept a northern accent. I mean, I understand in British culture, there's a lot of baggage that comes with the regional accents. Mm hmm. But also, like, why should she have to change her accent? That's how she talks. It's well, a show it's about like a fucking show time traveler. in northern England, in Sheffield, you know, in the West Yorkshire area, that they're showing working classes. It's not set in the more glamorous south in London and everything like that. So I think that's where some of it stems from. But then you have people that are like, well, I watched Rosa or I watched Demons of the Punjab and, you know, I couldn't connect to any of this. I'm like, well, that sucks for you. Go away. It wasn't for you. No one gives a shit. I'm so over <laughs> those fans. Like, here's the thing, numbnut. Nothing has to be perfectly made for you for you to still enjoy something. And if you can't enjoy it, then that says way more about you than the people writing the episode. Because for someone who never cries anymore, 
Demons of Punjab made me cry. I was crying the last 10 minutes because it was so well done. And because my grandfather still doesn't know where some of his family is. So you can just suck my left non-existent nut because I'm so over people being so rude and like ridiculous about episodes that are really meaningful to other people. Not every episode has to be perfectly like wonderful for you. And you can still admit it was a good episode, even if you didn't connect to it personally. I think it's because some of the episodes made people uncomfortable. Yes, exactly. Like, the episode... Okay, so my... I thought Rosa was arguably the peak of the season. I I like the season finale the best, but, like, this is probably the best episode, in my opinion. But the best part of it was that the white people had to sit... They actually had to stay seated on the bus mm-hmm. in right. order for history to happen. And Rosa I love got that- to be a hero, not because of anything the doctor did to encourage her. That was all Rosa. Exactly, but it's... No, it's more about... Um, a good message for white people that sometimes you just have to sit down and shut up and play the role that you need to play for change to happen. And it may be unsavory for you. You may have to do something that you find that makes you uncomfortable that you don't like, but you know what? Sometimes you have to suck it up. Well, and I know and like, this is an extreme compl- and this is an extreme and fantastical exaggeration of that, but I like the message that it sent. Well, and I know a lot of people complain that, Oh, Crasco's just a two dimensional villain. I'm like, you really want to tell me you don't know probably at least one white person that wishes they could go back and do that? How right? is he two-dimensional? He's literally reflective of all of the problems, well, not all, but, like, a large issue of everything that's going on in our current climate. Because it's the mirror effect. He looks like he's a good-looking white dude. Well, you know what? Sucks to be you and every other good-looking white dude who's actually a huge-ass Nazi. Sorry. Not Sorry. <laughs> I have strong feelings. It's fine. It's okay. I mean, you're talking to a Jew. Like, I'm with you. Right. right. I have I have had moments in my life. I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Like, I once was talking to a guy. There's a there's a scene in Broad City where Abby is, like, going through Tinder dates. And the guy, like, pulls up his shirt. And she's like, that's a nice tattoo. What is it? And it's, like, a Nazi tattoo. And she's like, that is definitely a thing. Right. None of us are Jewish here. And I was like, okay, that actually happened to me once. In real life, but like, I know it's, you get more sensitive to it now because of everything that's kind of going on. Like, I frequently see swastikas graffitied places, and that's, that's not normal. Like, that wasn't how it was five years ago. Like, zero swastikas is the number of swastikas I expect to see graffitied in (laughs) a very quiet upper to upper middle to upper class suburban neighborhood. That is no, extremely, agreed. extremely diverse. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, I'm still, I'm not on campus since I no longer go to the school, but I work near my campus and they had to have a town hall because graffiti, exactly what you just said, swastika graffitis have been popping up. And I just, again, like these episodes were picked specifically to impart messages to everyone who's watching. I mean, Demons of Punjab is a really good example because there were so many British people who were tweeting, holy shit, I had no idea about our history. And yes, like, what? <laughs> like there's, it's impossible to know every single piece of history because there's so much shit that's happened on this planet. But for people who literally like grew up in the nation that caused that to happen to be like, whoa, my mind is blown. Like I need to go learn about this right away is really awesome that that episode made people go learn more. And again, was an episode for people who this is literally part of their history. Like I said, like my grandfather to this day will never know where some of the people who knew went. Right. So They're just missing forever. And that's the thing, is that um, a lot of people 
don't know these things. Like, yeah, if you grew up in the United States, chances are you were not taught about the partition. Yeah, you know, like something. That, okay, so something that I did in high school is I would occasionally read British textbooks just because I was I was weird. But it was interesting <laughs> to me how they wrote about the American Revolution. Right. And, so their version of the story is quite negative, but the, the truth is actually kind of halfway between the two, most likely. But, like, it doesn't surprise me at all that Britain would not teach their students about one of the worst things they ever did. Or right. if they did teach them about it, they would frame it as if, like, okay, and then, uh, and so then Parliament just went up to the giant map on the floor and drew the line, and that was it, and everybody was happy, and we never talked about it again. Right. Because that's, that's how history is presented to you. Like, really... Clear through until, I'd say, probably college level was the first time that I learned anything that was actually true about American history. Not to uh, go on to a different topic, but I do want to keep us moving along before we go down a rabbit hole. Um, no, you're, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. And I will say, we all have, we have such, down. We have such broad interests that we could just tangent this off into literally anything. I know. We could probably make this last a good six months. Anyways... Before one of you says challenge accepted. Um, <laughs> Better version wanna, of the YouTube algorithm, go. Yeah, I did want to get back into, like, some highs of the season. Like, it takes you yeah. away. The reveal of the solo track deciding I want to be a frog. It's amazing because Grace <laughs> loves frogs. And Grace is what brought all of them together. And I just, tears. And yeah. everyone was so, like, weird about that episode. I'm like, this is actually brilliant. I don't and know what I, you're I, I thought it was anyone. Uh-huh. That's the thing. Sharon D. Clark is a very well-respected actress. She's um, performing on the West End. I think I told one of you about this. Yeah. She, yeah, she's currently yeah. starring on a show in the West End. Um, it's not Kinky Boots, but I can't remember what it is at the moment. Point being is I like how they've incorporated all the characters. So by the time we get to It Takes You Away, it doesn't feel cheap that Graham is struggling. Right. And I also, thought that was re- remarkably well, well done. Remarkably it was well, well done. And I also just love that Jodie Whittaker had to act all of that to a frog. A yeah. Very, yeah. like, chintzy looking. Wait, I don't think I should use that word. Wait, did she, uh, okay, wait, I have to ask. Because, like, usually when they do this, you're talking to a tennis ball because it's an animated thing. I think she was thing. talking but to was a it tennis a puppet? ball, but she has to, she's talking to a tennis ball imagining it's an animatronic frog. Who is actually a sentient universe. Yes. And I'm just like, you know what? Nobody gives that enough credit. I I got commander pills. It was it was a very good speech. It was very sweet and it was very in touch with who thirteen is. And I I just love the reveal that the solo tract as a frog is something that even surprises the doctor who has seen all of this stuff. And even that's like, that's a new one. <laughs> Yeah. And the best thing is, like, it just really goes to the character growth because she has to, like, like, she has to say goodbye for everything to be fine. Like, this is the one creature that could probably, like, she could tell so many things to and the frog would be living its best life. But Mm. that's not, like, they can't. Yeah. Well, and then you have other episodes, too, that, like, uh, one of my favorites, and I know a lot of other people don't care for it, is the Saranga Conundrum. I fucking love the Pating. It's not overly malicious. It's just, it just, that's its nature and it's trying to eat. Right. Right. But I, kind of I like love it. the contrast in that 
A, they actually did, like, a very thoughtful impreg story, and Graham and Ryan had to go be the emotional support while the Doctor and Yaz got to go kick some patine booty and save the day. Yes. Hard agree. Especially because what other show would actually, like, attempt to do it and then do it well without it being like, let's poke fun at people who are into this kind of thing on fanfiction. Yeah, it was like remark. They played it remarkably straight face, and I was like, "All right, I guess we're doing this." And yeah, it worked. Well, Although I think worked. the trick, and the then trick to the... it working was that it was played straight face. Yeah, right. And I also love that that was really kind of when it really solidified that Yaz was kind of like the Doctor's first mate. Mm-hmm. Because we'd seen her go with the Doctor and the Arachnids in the UK, but this is like when the Doctor started assigning her quite a bit of responsibility. And I really liked how that started building throughout the rest of the series. Though speaking of the Doctor and Yaz, tying it back to why we're on Ladies First. I get (laughs) you're going to ship what you're going to ship. I get it. Do not ever, ever ever tweet the actors stuff that you would consider to be sexual harassment okay before you go on though here's i think part of the issue because it's a celebrity they don't think it's sexual harassment even if someone else did it to another celebrity like to them it's just like part of like this weird celeb culture where it's okay to just say whatever you want because we have whole we have the whole thing from what is it buzzfeed whoever where it's like they'll read angry things on twitter because we use like punch me in the face as in oh my gosh you're really attractive i think it's an expansion of that where uh haram button times ten thousand quote sit on my face unquote is acceptable to say because it's really just like i think you're really attractive you know i don't even know if it's just that i think like this is so there's a conversation that needs to be had amongst queer women, but really it's a lot of it is specifically lesbians is that um, we participate in a lot of rape culture and we don't like to admit it or talk about it directly because it makes us look like predators. But some of you guys are fucking predators. <laughs> and here's the thing is like, I can even see where that came up from because a lot of our media up until very recently has not been exactly healthy. Right. And yeah. if you go, um, this is something Lisa and I talked about when we did that very specific, she wrote an article on the L word and then she was on with me when we were talking about the L word and it framed something that was at best dubious consent as angry sex and mm-hmm. hot. And for an entire generation of young women, loving women, like, a lot of stuff on that show was not healthy. I knew but... immediately what you were, exactly what you me were talking about. But then I thought about it and I was like, oh, wait, you could be talking about like four or five. Yeah. I'm like, you know, a lot of our media up until now, like very recently, has not been healthy. And I think a lot of that is we internalized a ton of it. And right. also... there's a lot we have to unpack now. We all also aren't immune to straight tropes because we do still follow that same that same script because we don't have a lot of good examples so it's not like we don't also internalize negative things about how to court especially lesbians who are i guess extroverted or who would be i don't want to use the term dominant the lesbians who do the asking will often have some assertive yes assertive lesbians do 
can and do have problems with the same problems that men do when they approach women that they get overly personal too quickly or that they get overly sexual too quickly and we will also even like excuse it ourselves and making jokes like oh it's only sexual harassment if you don't find them attractive and shit like that and we do joke about that frequently like i started paying attention to it now and that is something that we kind of have a big problem with or i think it really just go ahead hair. Or we make these online communities where we kind of enshrine this behavior, like if you're more introverted or whatever, where it's okay to talk like this and say things like this. And it's like it's deemed it's okay to do this because these are our private safe spaces we've built for ourselves. But then we constantly see the spilling out of that safe space. And at what time do we say maybe we need to address this as – it's not behavior that it's okay for us to engage in because it's obviously not staying here. Yes. Because it, well, it has a huge impact on the culture at large. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Sarah. And it's also really hard because, like, when you were telling me about this, I was both shocked but at the same time not at all surprised. But then also thinking about the ages of the people who do this. I mean, it spans all ages, but a lot of times it is younger, like, or like late teenage, early young adult who just, to be frank, just don't like haven't had relationships or are still figuring things out. And so it becomes this kind of outlet of, oh, well, I'm just saying it to celebrity who will probably never see this tweet. And if they do see this tweet, they aren't going to respond. So I think, again, it goes back to the whole like anonymous, being anonymous on the internet. Like unless your face is literally on it, your face is probably the character that for the actress of whom you are being like, comes sit on my, oh God, wrong. Talking about that <laughs> with, too. And it's just, like, if someone actually did that to you in real life, you would feel incredibly uncomfortable. And then you would probably tell them to never talk to you again or ignore them or avoid them or whatever way that we all, unfortunately, when things like this happen, have to handle it, right? But because the likelihood of Jody or Mandeep ever actually tweeting out and being like, yo, stop doing that is completely zero. No one has stepped in and said, hey, stop doing this. It's terrible. Now, to be fair, I did see on Tumblr, uh, in the F- Doctor Who fandom, I'm not, we're not going to name names, but I did see on Tumblr, there was actually pushback. Okay, good. On the, oh my God, you guys cannot say this. What is wrong with you? But it goes, right. I mean, it, it's not just Doctor Who fandom this happens in. Like, it happens oh, in. Oh no, it's all fandom. Why not? Yeah. Earth is one of the worst offenders. Mm. Um, you know, or the actresses from the 100. You, I mean, right. Elizabeth, oh, you and yeah. I have talked about, you know, why we don't think um, Alicia Debnam Carey would ever return to that show within a hundred mile radius. No, because the fandom is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> I say that as somebody who still watches the show, by the way. But like, yeah, there, there's some dark places. Fandom was a mistake. Fandom was a mistake. <laughs> Like, at the end of the day, the thing we're is... We're a fandom... called the Fandamentals, and we're saying fandom was a mistake. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, because there are great things about fandom, bringing people together and generating content and transformative works and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it also means that some of the stuff that is terrible in just regular day interactions get enshrined as things that are acceptable. Because, I mean, we could do... And we have talked about fan fiction, for example. There are plenty of things that even if it's tagged like this is clearly just a fictional thing 
especially young kids. I mean, I was reading fan fiction at eight, and I was really lucky that I just had like a discerning ability to know what was haram and what wasn't. So I avoided most of the haram stuff until I was older. But there are plenty of kids who grew up on fanfic that I know via my time on Tumblr who are six, seven, eight years younger than me, and they'll talk about the shit they read, and I'm just like, I need to get all of us brain bleach. All I... of this is bad. No, I'm I'm kind of chuckling because I'm just just thinking that I I've been thinking more about this now that like there was some stuff that I read when I was like 12 to 14 that was in retrospect like hardcore child pornography and it was because this was back when fanfiction.net still had the mature category or not the mature the adult only category right right like and this stuff was just there not behind a paywall not behind any sort of ID check or anything it was then that's the reason why it's not there anymore um but like I don't know. I just, I'm kind of torn on people have the right to create whatever they want, but it's more, do people have the right to post this in a public forum because of what, what its impact is on fandom culture at large? Especially since, like, a lot of people talk about, like, oh, kids these days in fandom, it's so terrible because they can't conceal their ages. That is actually a good thing, because think about all of us when we were 13, and I bet you right. two, two did this too, where you'd lied about your age. For years to people on forums and on live journal or whatever because you wanted to be perceived as an adult and you were talking to people that you had no business talking to absolutely i mean like, this is and like now when you look back on it you're like holy shit <laughs> i mean when my friends who watched glee tell me about the stuff on the glee kink meme i literally am like can i douse all of us in holy water throw, throw salt over my shoulder literally <laughs> do like a like, any kind of ritual I can do to make all of this go away, because they're, like, here's the thing, when you have people who don't know any better reading stuff from other people who are writing the most, and I say this word absolutely seriously, like, heinous shit because they can, and because they know it's going to get clicks, and then that turns into forming a lot of people's sexualities, like, it's a problem, and we have no actual way of dealing with it, and so then that spills over into these interactions with people, and celebrities and you know even each other because again like every month there's some kind of oh hey this person is actually a huge creep in this fandom or that person has actually been preying on kids who are half their age because there's no way to protect regardless of age there's no way to protect yourself unless you work really hard right and you know how to make sure that you're blocking certain people and hiding certain things and even then there's always gonna be people who slip through and the problem is is that that puts the onus on a child to have to figure this out for themselves exactly Right. And like, there has to be there has to be another solution. Mm-hmm. I this is an intense episode. Yeah, <laughs> I should have worn that beginning. Whoops. Um, there's a lot of good, like Sahara said. There's a lot of good that fandom has done. You know, for some people, especially people who live in rural areas, it's a sense of connection. That they may not have in their real lives. And I think that's important. But I think for too long, we've tried to act like the negative aspects of fandom aren't that bad. Right. And, you know, the positive aspects of fandom would just, just far, far outweigh this. And I think we are past the time of confronting that. You know, like we have stand culture on with celebrities. We have all this stuff going on with the fandoms that we've talked about. You know, for me, it just became a boiling point with Doctor Who of all these things, not just, you know, 
not having boundaries, but also like, well, maybe this isn't for you and, or maybe it's different and you need to learn how to enjoy it instead of wanting to have some things that are really not healthy to want to cling on to. Um, right. You know, like I said, going back with the time war, like, why do you want your favorite character to stay mentally unhealthy in that scenario? Why don't you want them to heal? Honestly, that question actually throws me back to one of the first things that I wrote that actually got me writing for the fundamentals, which is where I talked about like man angst and how characters, especially in procedurals, like the main characters, like this broody dude whose wife died or whatever character was fridged for him. And it's just this like everything is depressing and dramatic and sad and terrible. And no one is ever happy until the literal last episode. And that only happens because the show has been canceled. And so they have to like shove some ending together. Versus. Right, like, we should want, like, okay, there is absolutely a place for characters who've got various traumas and working through that. That's separate from this character is just always angry and sad and wants to hurt people. And I think the hurting people thing, actually, now that I'm saying it, really speaks to, like, how certain people in fandoms want to deal with their own issues. And I think it's a reflection of, like, well, I'm really mad, so I want this character to hurt the bad guys because I can't hurt whoever has, like, done me wrong, which I get. I mean, it's a human reaction to be like, wow, I wish I could, like, fight this person or do whatever. Um, But it's not healthy. And so if you can't move on from a character who for 12 years has been very similar to this character who has learned from the last 12 years, then, like, no way, no how will the show ever work for you because you will never be happy with what's happening. I wish people were more willing to move on from things that aren't working for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there was a there was a Guillermo del Toro interview from last year where he said, "I do not do homework with my life," and that mentality has just literally transformed me. Well, <laughs> even for me, for me, I just yeah, I uh, I stopped watching Doctor Who. Like I did not watch any of twelve until it got closer time for series eleven to come on, just because I wanted to have some context. I stopped watching Moffat's Doctor Who because it wasn't working for me. And, yeah. I mean, part of why I'm talking about Doctor Who every, all the damn time is because I enjoy it again. Right. Yeah. And I'm really happy I can enjoy it again. But when I didn't enjoy it, I just didn't watch it and I didn't talk about it and I didn't engage with it because it wasn't worth it to me. And right. we seem to have a lot of people that feel like instead of just being like oh okay well i'm not gonna watch it whatever i'm gonna go on to something else it's like we have to do this rage rage against the dying of the light fandom or whatever like just you can let things go i'm not even really big into supergirl anymore i haven't reviewed it for the site since like episode three because i'm just like yeah i dropped it because the fandom was exhausting well, and here's the thing is I think there's so much to be said that with Twitter and this didn't happen quite as much on Tumblr, at least from my memory of what I was doing when I was on Tumblr, 14 to mm, I'm 24 now. So like 22 um, is that hate watching is such a big like people want to be able to say that I hate watch this. I'm not going to lie. There are absolutely shows that I don't watch, but I still read the recaps because I used to watch them and I know what's happening. And so <laughs> with fandom conversations, like I can be up on like what's going on. Like Riverdale, haram. Do I know what's happening? And absolutely. So I can make sure I know what's going on. You know what I mean? Like I know what's happening, but I'm not going to watch it. And I think the best thing you can do for yourself is if you do not enjoy something anymore, you can say let go. And I say this as someone who has watched over 400 TV shows and used to be a completionist. I literally watched all of CSI New York for no reason. That show was not very good. I still finished it. 
So you can let go and say, all right, the show used to, you know what? I'm going to bring in Marie Kondo TV show. If this You're show no does longer. not spark joy, then you need to let go of yeah. this show. Call your TV and your movies <laughs> and your fandoms. If it does not bring you joy, and I, I love this woman just because of the, her entire mindset i'm like this is very helpful if it doesn't bring you joy let it go let it go it's okay i love that they made fun of this in like my weird favorite dumb show from netflix that was canceled disjointed but it's just you know you have to be able to say to things you no longer spark joy thank you for your service thank you for providing me joy at some point you don't do it anymore i'm gonna let you go Yes. Quitting Arrow was one of the best decisions I ever made. I'm still <laughs> stuck with DC TV because of all the TV stuff that I do, but oh boy, if I was still watching that, all of my hair would be gray and I would probably be an even angrier person. I feel so. like people forgot that ha- part critique is not always necessarily negative. Part of critical analysis can also be talking about why something succeeds. I know yes. a big part of our brand is talking shit about Game of Thrones, but the other half of that equation is talking about why the books do it right. So like sure. a lot of people see the first part and react to that because it's funny and like, oh, you can be snarky and I want to be just like Ben Yahtzee Croshaw uh, from Zero Punctuation. <laughs> And, like, that's true. You can be snarky, but, like, you have to have nice things to say once in a while. Because otherwise it's just going to suck the life out of you. It sucks the life out of a fandom because then people leave because they get fucking fed up with all of the infighting. Right. And the people who stick around are generally really angry all the time, and it just makes everything super unhealthy for everyone. Yes! You know, Kylie is not a fan of Game of Thrones, but you know what she writes about that she does love? Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. You can write about things you like. There's a concept. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think ultimately the takeaway from this whole episode is that if you are talking to a celebrity, <laughs> don't be haram because Sahara will be behind you screaming that's haram every time you tweet something bad. <laughs> and two, enjoy the fact that characters are changing and that even though the stories sometimes are really intense for very good reason, the takeaway is that humans can, like, do good and prevail and not be shitlords forever. Also, even though sometimes it's hard to believe that. There is nothing stopping you from re-watching or replaying the things that you thoroughly enjoy. I have watched Love Rich 12 times. I have played Mass Effect. I have played the Mass Effect series through its entirety no less than ten times. Wow, that's amazing because that's way yeah. more hours than Leverage. <laughs> I, have I don't know. It's over probably three thousand like... hours in Crusader Kings two. Oh my god! I have no game that I can come close to that. I think I'm at twenty five hundred on Fallout Four. Wow, but... this is incredible. <laughs> We're a bunch of nerds. I know. Brings <laughs> me joy. Or yes. know, series eleven of Doctor Who brings me joy. I've been rewatching a lot of those episodes. Yes, yeah. you can go and watch the things again that brought you joy, and drop the things that aren't working for you. Or, or if you're complaining about something that's not working for you, maybe, maybe stop and think why? Why am I upset about this? Right. Give yourself permission to let go. And I know that's hard for a lot of us, especially when it comes to fandom things, because fandom becomes a huge part of our identities, and this is something we've talked about on various episodes. But you can say goodbye. It's like putting a coat that no longer fits in the bag to donate or to give it to someone else. And in fact, 
actually, if you really can't let go of a show because it's pissing you off, tell someone else that you want to watch it so they quit with you when you get they get to the point that you don't like. And you can talk about the parts that you love together. That's also something I've done. Where I'm like, also, watch please stop tweeting sexual stuff to actors. Yeah. Just, that's also To wrong. each other. Just don't do it to anyone unless they yeah. have talked to you before and you've sat down and been like, hey, are you into this thing? Consent is important. Yes. Yes. Also, we are out of time, so we'll cut this short a little bit. Thank you guys for tuning in to us. We're excited about 2019. Uh, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, Unabashed Book Snobbery, The Fundamentalist, uh, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics, Right to Survive, and also the new one, Sahara and I started up, that's Haram. Um, yeah, we have a lot of podcasts on this sh- <laughs> website. We love podcasts. If you want a shout out on one of the podcasts, you can, that's a perk associated with our Fundamentals Plus program. Uh, We have a few different options if you want to opt in for that, and that helps support our site and our upkeep and lets us keep writing the content we write. So you can also find out uh, more about that if you click FM Plus on the menu of our site. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a like. We are also on Spotify, so you can check us out there as well. Did I cover Thanks everything? Thanks for listening. I think you got everything. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you next time. Next time.